Welcome to the Dermatology Podcast, the official podcast of the European Academy of Dermatology and Venereology. I'm Christopher Horskamp. And I'm Cécile Mitoire. And we're happy to bring you a special episode on the COVID-19 vaccines. But first... We are just a month away now. That's right. On the 6th and 7th of May, the EADV's Spring Symposium will be one of the most important virtual events this spring. With over 100 speakers and 30 hours of semi-live lectures, our scientific program is full of exciting updates. For more information, go to www.eadvsymposium2021.org. And now... There is no hotter topic in medicine, and really in the world right now, than the COVID-19 vaccines. From the science behind them to the rollout, it seems to be a mainstay of news headlines around the world. People want to know who is getting vaccinated, when they will get vaccinated, if the vaccination efforts are going to work, and if the vaccines themselves are safe and effective. And that brings us to this week's special episode. Today, Professor Jan Gutermuth will be leading a discussion with Professor Johannes Ring about the vaccines and risk of allergic reactions. Let's have a listen. Hello and welcome to this EADB podcast on the risk of allergic reactions towards COVID-19 vaccinations. My name is Jan Gutermuth. I'm a dermatologist from the University of Brussels and the University Hospital in Brussels. And with me today is Professor Johannes Ring. Uh, he is the former chairman of the Technische Universität München, Department of Dermatology and Allergology, Biederstein. Professor Ring, um, welcome. And could you please shortly introduce yourself? Hello, my name is Johannes Ring. I started in immunology when I was a young guy, then went to allergology and finally to dermatology. And as Professor Guttermuth has told, I have been chairman at the Technical University in Munich. And allergic diseases and allergic skin diseases are very close to my heart. So we thought that this would be a topic where we should discuss the current state of the art on how we have to advise dermatologists and other doctors and, of course, also patients about the risks and the right procedures when receiving COVID-19 vaccinations. There have been reported cases of anaphylaxis and there's a lot of confusion in the field how to deal with this situation. I think one uh, point as a European dermatologist uh, uh, to mention is that Europe has been really at the forefront in developing these vaccinations. As you think of the BioNTech vaccination that is produced with Pfizer, we have the colleagues from AstraZeneca, we have uh, from Russia the Sputnik vaccination, uh, there's uh, Janssen Silak, uh, which belongs to Johnson Johnson, which has developed the vaccine. So, and now we need to come up with recommendations for our for our European colleagues on how to vaccinate and when to be careful and which measures to take. So uh, in your private, in your practice, um, have you experienced questions from colleagues about vaccinations or patients? I can tell you questions from colleagues and patients in increasing frequency. Shortly before Christmas, every other patient in my office um, was asking Doctor, I'm so allergic. They tell there are allergic reactions. I cannot be vaccinated. Should I get the vaccine? So we said together that we have to write something. We have to write a position statement in order to calm down or to answer the most important questions. Is there really a risk? How big is the risk? And what is to be done practically? And 
the final conclusion will be only for a very, very minor subgroup of very allergic individuals, there may be a risk. But yeah. almost all patients can be vaccinated, but we will discuss this. Yeah. So, so when we go into this point, who would you say, uh, who is really at most at risk? Where do we have to be careful? In this position statement, which we then uh, wrote over Christmas holidays and New Year's Eve, and it circulated and it has been published in the JEADV recently, there we make three groups. Um, the major group, persons with allergic diseases like atopic dermatitis, urticaria, asthma, um, angioedema, food allergy, insect venom allergy, drug allergy, they all can be vaccinated. The disease as such is not a contraindication. There are some subgroups, this is the second part, where special precautions should be taken. And we can discuss about this. These are individuals with anaphylaxis, this means this is allergic shock after injectable drugs or after another vaccination or of unknown origin, so-called idiopathic, when people or the doctors did not find a cause or drug anaphylaxis together with mastocytosis. In these individuals, we recommend allergy diagnostic workup prior to vaccination. Yeah, so which kind of workup? We, we often get the question of patients with uh, contact dermatitis. Uh, from Usually we get this question from non-dermatologists where uh, patients have had contact dermatitis or uh, drug reactions, but usually type 4 reactions, rashes. Uh, these patients are, if I understand right, not at risk. No. This is like uh, the well-known story with thiomersal in contained a, an antiseptic in many vaccine preparations, and many people have positive patch tests to this uh, ingredient, but nothing happens when they are vaccinated. What could happen maximally would be a systemically induced uh, systemic contact dermatitis, as we call it, or hematogenous contact dermatitis, which is very rare and not life-threatening. So it's a very good question, Professor Gutemann. Thank you Thank for you. asking it, because it's often forgotten, but the people think allergy is allergy, and it's everything the same. Contact yes. allergic diseases, contact eczema, contact uh, dermatitis is not a contraindication. They can safely be vaccinated. So when we come back to the patients that you just mentioned as high-risk patients, so previous severe reactions towards injection of drugs or vaccinations, patients with mastocytosis, um, which uh, workup do we need to do here? Well, since we... Uh, well, the, the ideal workup in allergy diagnosis is to test until you get the eliciting substance and at best at a molecular level. Then you know this substance, this drug, this chemical, this protein is the eliciter. This is not always possible. You have to be fair. But one should, one should try. So, for instance, an anaphylaxis to an influenza vaccination or a tetanus vaccination should be done. And it should not only be tested tetanol, but also other ingredients of the vaccine preparation. And maybe you find. Um, some uh, uh, allergic reaction to a uh, preservative in them. In our 
cases, there's also not only viral RNA content, but there are other ingredients. Yeah. And this uh, was uh, this was or was discussed as being the most maybe most important elicitor that it could be uh, a cross reaction or a reaction towards the propylene glycol. Yeah. Exactly. In the, I think uh, in Europe at this moment, most commonly applied vaccine with messenger RNA mRNA vaccines, they contain polyethylene glycol as a lipid matrix, which protects the viral RNA and protects it from being degraded. And very rarely there are anaphylactic reactions to polyethylene glycol. If you have one, we had one in my life, I have seen maybe 10 or so, you can publish them, you know. They, they, they happen once a year and they are very rare. And There's no real epidemiology, but you could say one, one in a million or so. But so, if you happen to be one, this is a risk and you should not get this vaccine. Would you also recommend, for instance, testing of uh, disinfectants, let's say chlorhexidin, or should we all, should we, uh, which can also elicit um, type one allergy, or should we also do latex tests in these patients who have? I think yes. I think this belongs to. Uh, it's a little bit like when you do preoperative or perioperative anaphylaxis. Uh, if you do your allergy workup, you also include most uh, common preservatives and things like that and latex, yes. Because sometimes people think the individual is allergic to the drug, but it was in the reality, it was latex uh, from the glove of the doctor who gave the injection. Yeah, so we need to keep all these possibilities in mind uh, when we evaluate these patients. And if the patient has had a type 4 allergy on one of the ingredients, would we still do this testing? And, and so, and which, how would the exact testing look like? Or do we leave this over to the allergy departments? Well, the patch test, of course, a systemic contact dermatitis is also not so nice, um, but uh, it's not life threatening. So, You can do a patch test with uh, preservatives. I think it would not be a too bad idea. And because in, I think the Moderna vaccine contains tromethamol, and this can also be a contact allergen. And so you would maybe avoid too strong local reactions or systemic contact dermatitis. But we would not expect anaphylaxis in these patients. No. I think that is the important, uh, an important uh, message uh, to the people performing vaccinations that still uh, these patients have an extremely low risk of having an anaphylaxis or that, and that they can be, uh, can be vaccinated. Yes. yes. So um, are there clear-cut contraindications where you would say this patient really may not receive a vaccination? Well, as I said... Clear contraindication is an anaphylaxis to an ingredient of the vaccine, as it may be anaphylaxis to polyethylene glycol. Then polyethylene glycol containing vaccines should not be given, but this patient should get another one. Thanks God, there are different vaccine preparations containing different ingredients. So um, when we now have identified 
a patient uh, who is at risk, but he doesn't have the clear-cut contraindication, can can we and if we want to vaccinate this patient, um, which um, precautions should we take? In, under which setup would you vaccinate such a patient? Well, you name it. In the reality, it's not like in the textbook. So um, imagine those vaccination centers. I don't know how it is done in Belgium, in Germany. These are really huge, big halls. And doctors are recruited from anywhere, and they are not experts in allergy. They have learned to apply vaccines. But when a patient comes and says, I am severely allergic, they might get really confused. So we have to really help and give very clear recommendations. And um, this is what we wanted to uh, recommend in this uh, position statement. Yeah, I think this was really uh, very clear. I had the, the, the chance to read it. And um, yes, here in Belgium, we also we are vaccinating primarily in vaccination centers where you have doctors present, but where we have uh, the possibility for resuscitation, for immediate resuscitation, and uh, all emergency um, medications are available at hand. But also we have uh, in sale, for instance, in our hospital, but also in other hospitals, we have um, specific consultations uh, for patients with specific questions on vaccination. Um, so in, in Germany, for instance, we try, we did not reach all, or we developed a flyer leaflet for information for the vaccinating doctors and the patients reflecting upon that, what we are discussing here. And we also offered teaching or seminars in acute anaphylaxis management, including the use of adrenaline auto-injectors, which is so easy and which should be really available. Sometimes among emergency medications, you have the adrenaline ampule, and of course you have to open the ampule and then you have to draw the syringe and inject, and this takes time and the auto-injector just goes through the trousers into the uh, thigh muscle and delivers 300 microgram adrenaline and nothing bad can happen. So we really recommend that in the vaccination centers or also people when general practitioners will do the vaccine, they should have these adrenaline auto-injectors among their emergency equipment. I think many doctors are afraid of adrenaline because they are afraid of cardiac side effects. Uh, do we have to be afraid of cardiac side effects when using such an adrenaline injector? You touch a very uh, relevant problem because until maybe 20 years ago, so in elderly textbooks of internal medicine and emergency medicine, it was recommended to apply adrenaline either subcutaneously or intravenously. Subcutaneously does not really work because there is not a good circulation when the patient's in shock, it just sits there. And intravenously can be really dangerous in elderly people with cardiac arrhythmia, adrenaline may cause problems. And therefore people were scared and said, oh, be careful with adrenaline. But since we have this intramuscular application, and especially the auto-injector 
which delivers 300 microgram with a rather big force into the muscle. This is a safe procedure. It reaches the plasma, but it does not lead to these unwanted side effects. I think this is the major breakthrough, and people have no longer to be afraid of giving adrenaline. So that is very reassuring when uh, um, yeah, vaccinating millions of people in such a short time and having yes. to always have in mind, I think, at least three to five calls we have every day on uh, doctors who, who have a specific question or patients themselves. And I think when we look at the prevalence of allergic diseases in the population, about 20 percent, um, this is important for uh, us to reach a herd immunity. If we do not manage to vaccinate our allergic patients, we will never be able to reach a herd um, immunity. I don't know how it is in Belgium, but in Germany, at the moment, of course, everybody is eager to get the vaccine because it's a shortage. It's very human if there's something very rare you want to have it. But I tell you, at latest in May, when there will be millions of vaccine doses around, we will have the opposite problem. And many, many people will say, no, I don't want, this is too dangerous, and this goes to my genes, and here comes Bill Gates and all those crazy conspiracy theories. And allergy is a wonderful excuse for those people who don't want to get vaccinated. And therefore, we really have to inform people, and like a preacher, tell them, Get the vaccine, and allergy is not a contraindication, only in very, very rare cases. So we are doing our best with this podcast to help in this situation. I think that's one of the really of the goals for us to to make sure that as many uh, people as possible get a safe yes. in a safe way uh, their vaccination. Um, so. Um, is there anything that people should uh, take care when they when they inject? So I have learned you should not disinfect. You inject just into the muscle in the deltoid. Um, and uh, how long should we? How long should we super? How whom should we keep uh, under um, supervision? And for how long? Well, thank you for touching this because the, this second group where we say there. Some precautions should be taken. This also implies that these individuals should be observed over 30 minutes. Not every patient with a vaccine. They can get it and they, uh, after a couple of minutes, they can leave. But those people who have suffered anaphylaxis earlier, they should be observed over 30 minutes. There should be also facilities in the vaccination center and in the office that they can wait there. Uh, this is very important. And also, in those patients where you do not find the cause and who have really suffered severe anaphylaxis, but it's not polyethylene glycol, and uh, you are just not sure, there we recommend, like we do it in radio contrast media application with a radiologist or in perioperative anaphylaxis. There we recommend pre-medication, pharmacological pre-medication, oral steroids the night before and one hour before, and antihistamine H1 antagonist plus H2 antagonist immediately before. So with this procedure, you can dampen the uh, possible 
occurring anaphylactic reaction. So this pre-medication is also something one can offer to those patients where we are not sure and where we have not found the real elicity of earlier reactions. So if we summarize this, there is almost no patient who cannot be vaccinated. When I look at the criteria that we have summarized now, uh, there's really a minute number of patients that we cannot offer a vaccination. Um, is there um, is there anything that we should uh, keep in mind, for instance, for patients with other inflammatory diseases, uh, which are sometimes triggered by immune reactions? If you think of atopic dermatitis or psoriasis, um, is, are these contraindications? Thank, thank you for touching this. Not only the allergic diseases we mentioned, but meanwhile, um, there is uh, statements. There are statements from many other groups: psoriasis, autoimmune diseases. There, these diseases are not per se a contraindication, as atopic dermatitis per se is not a contraindication. So this holds true for many, many other things, and also the treatment modalities. This is a second question. Um, these patients get immunomodulating drugs, immunosuppressants or biologics. What does this mean? And I think there is now no evidence that this treatment has to be stopped or does influence the vaccine. Yet for practical purposes, we recommend, for instance, with biologics, in our case, for instance, dupilumab in atopic dermatitis, we recommend to do the COVID vaccine one week after injection of the biologic, so in the interval, like we do it also with allergen-specific immunotherapy. You just keep one week uh, apart from the COVID-19 vaccination. But this is a safe procedure. Yeah. So that I think for the dermatologists, that's a big group of concern. But luckily yes. here we can say, and and we can we can treat a flare, but we would like to be these patients these patients yes. to be protected. Another group of patients that we can think of are patients with autoimmune diseases. If you think uh, of lupus, uh, dermatomyositis, patients with severe autoimmune diseases, do they have any increased risk? I don't think so. As far as we know, at the moment they don't have an increase or the, the respective task forces or societies have similar recommendations as we have done for the allergic skin diseases. So one other thing um, one, one can think of that uh, patients come to you and they say, oh, when I have a, um, when I have a vaccination, I get a very large uh, redness. Or I have a very strong reaction at the injection site. Would that be a contraindication? From what point would you speak of, of really a side effect when you see some redness, some induration? Well, um, I would uh, evaluate this between unpleasant event and side effect. You know, um, every vaccination more or less gives some local reaction. So even a normal influenza vaccine, people sometimes get a big arm and a tender arm and the next day, or they get a little bit flu-like symptoms. They feel fatigue. They um, 
don't feel so well. That's why we tell them do not have a lot of sports events on the day of vaccination, but rather keep calm. So this um, can happen, but I think this is in the range of every other vaccine. There's nothing specially more dangerous with COVID-19 vaccines. So these patients then can also receive a second dose yes. where indicated. And you can treat, of course, when the arm goes down until the elbow to swelling, then I would give systemic steroid, one 50 milligram prednisolone or something, you know, and then this will stop. And when, when patients now uh, experience side effects in terms like flu-like symptoms, fever, uh, they receive may have fever, some headaches, some muscle pain, anything that we can advise safely but not compromising vaccine efficacy? Well, interestingly, uh, this short-term application of, uh, for instance, uh, corticosteroids or uh, other drugs does not have an influence on the efficacy of the vaccine. The flu-like symptoms, some people actually recommend some antipyretic, some ibuprofen. Uh, many vaccine centers I know, they recommend it to the patient, if you feel not well, take an ibuprofen next day or so. And this is no problem. You know? So that's good. So that's a, that's another good news. Uh, you can you can counteract the flu-like symptoms without compromising vaccine yes. efficacy. Yeah. So I think that was uh, really an interesting uh, discussion and overview on how we identify patients who are at risk and. Uh, who we can vaccinate and who we cannot vaccinate. Luckily, as you mentioned, uh, there's almost nobody who we cannot vaccinate. And um, are there any other skin side effects we should be aware of? Well, not of the vaccine, but they will also come. The skin reactions during COVID-19 disease is a wonderful chapter, a big spectrum of all kinds of rashes and This is a different story. Maybe we have to do a separate podcast. podcast Remember yes. the chillblain-like lesions in northern Italy, enigmatic until today, whether this was coronavirus uh, associated or not, or, but pityriasis rosea, um, exanthematous eruptions, things like that, has been Chanotti cross syndrome. Uh, many, many skin reactions have been described. And I'm quite sure this will also be described when millions of people are vaccinated with COVID. After the vaccine, such reactions may also occur, but they are not life-threatening. Yeah. So, yeah, the immune system has... Uh, it's really always fascinating how the immune system can go so many ways, can take so many turns, and that the skin can be a sign of these immune reactions in such a different way. And uh, But luckily, as we discussed now in, in the context of COVID vaccinations, these are usually not life-threatening and should not pose a contraindication. Um, I would like to thank you for this uh, very in-depth discussion of the topic. And um, I know that the colleagues, for instance, at the University of Ghent, they have published very nice guidelines on their, uh, they have summarized the knowledge on their website. Uh, is our, the GADV journal, will we have recommendations soon? Well, I think um, this letter, uh, this position statement uh, 
will be published in the June issue, another one by the group of Tristan et al. on uh, uh, atopic dermatitis per se and treatment of atopic dermatitis with biologics, immunosuppressives, and vaccine has already appeared. So in every issue, there is, a, so we call it COVID hub, and there are interesting articles on corona. And I tell you, the suffering of the people and the death rate is terrible. And I suffer with them. But as a scientist, this is a fantastic time. We will learn so much about immunology and virology, and it's a new disease, and we witness this, and something is totally different from other diseases we have seen so far. So for research, it's a fantastic time. And get your vaccine. I think this is the ideal end of this podcast. Brusering, thank you very much for your time. Uh, thank you very much to all of our listeners for staying with us. And we hope to hear you at the next edition of our EADV podcast. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. We would like to thank Professor Ring and Professor Guttermuth for sharing this information with us. Since COVID-19 has come into our lives, the Journal of the European Academy of Dermatology and Venereology has worked tirelessly to share the most up-to-date research and findings on the SARS-CoV-2 virus, in particular the dermatological aspects of it, and will continue to do so. The articles discussed today can be found in the JADV. You can find links to the articles in the episode details for this podcast. All articles published in the JADV about COVID-19 have been made free access, but remember, All EADV members have access to all of the journal's content. We would like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in. That's right. We appreciate you joining us and look forward to presenting more interviews, research, and other topics of merit. Until the next episode. Take care of your skin.